everybody. We alive? Okay, a third of us got it. I prefer to talk to alive people, so that's good. That there's a portion of you that are alive. Uh, all right. Um, well, my name is Paco. I am also one of the pastors here. Uh, I have the privilege of working with the high school students, and uh, for about the past eight years. Uh, and I'm up here today because I, all the other normal preaching pastors are uh, either on sabbatical or in the lake, I guess. Um, so you get me. So let's have some fun. Um, yeah. Oh. Can some of you come to the high school ministry? Because they never clap for me in there. Um, well, uh, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into our next uh, preaching, our next uh, sermon from the series of, in uh, Acts. Let's pray. Lord, um, how good it is to be gathered this morning, uh, and thanks even for the picture that uh, we are one body, and even today we are gathered in different places. We got people at like Siskiyou, we have us in this room, perhaps others watching on their devices from other places. Thanks that you unify us in Christ, thanks that we are one body uh, brought together uh, by saving faith in your son. And so uh, we look to you this morning, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us as we open your word. Would you encourage and challenge us? Uh, would you open our ears, would you soften our hearts, and maybe walk away today being a better reflection of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so I've uh, been married for about nine years to a wonderful person named Rebecca. Some of you know her as Teacher Becca. Uh, some of you may know her as Pastor Becca. Uh, at least one person knows her as Mom, uh, and I get to call her wife. And... Uh, one of the things that we established in, in our marriage as we were going through pyramidal counseling is that we were going to do a weekly date night. So for about nine, for about nine years now, every Thursday night, most Thursday, most every Thursday night, you know, like Thanksgiving and stuff, we skip that day. But for about most Thursday nights, we go on a date. And we go from places all the way from like San Jose all the way up here to Palo Alto. It's been our rhythm. So we've been on hundreds of dates over the past nine years. And um, we love going on dates. We love eating food. And one of the things that happens a lot of times when we're out having dinner is we meet people. We often meet people just sort of that are sitting near us or next to us or by us. And we love to do that. We love to learn about people. We love to hear where they're from. We love to hear their interests. We love to hear those, their hobbies. And actually, we've, we've made some friends this way. We've uh, gone on like double dates with these people that we've met on a random date that Becca and I, so the Lord has blessed and multiplied our dates. So there's that. If you don't do that, you, maybe you should. Um, but... A lot of times when we're having these conversations, uh, we get into a lot of different topics, but one question always seems to like always come up. And it's the question of, what do you do? And to be honest, sometimes when I'm asked that question, I think to myself, like, should I really share what I do? Should I tell them I'm a pastor? Now, before you judge me, um, Right, uh, one of my resistances here, my urge to resist is, is, is that it's gonna shift the conversation, right? Some kind of shift is gonna happen in this conversation. It could be a positive one, it could be a negative one, it could make the conversation go really shallow, or maybe it just takes it to this really, really deep level that I wasn't ready to go on like on a Thursday night with my wife, you know? Uh, but it shifts the conversation in some way and sometimes it just feels like, man, do I really want to go there? Maybe I could just tell them, like, oh, I work with high school students, or I'm kind of like a guidance counselor, because um, I don't know which direction it's going to go. And 
I wonder if that's any of you too. That when we're, we're sharing about ourselves with a, a friend or a coworker or an acquaintance, we share lots about ourselves, lots of details about who we are, where we come from, maybe where we work, um, but we leave out faith. Or maybe on Monday morning or you show up to work or you're on a Zoom meeting or class, whatever it might be for you, and you're sharing about your weekend. You're like, Friday night was great, really didn't do much, slept in on Saturday. Uh, Saturday night, I went to go see the Barbie movie with Paul Taylor. Um, <laughs> Sunday, I just caught up on some emails in the evening, and here I am on Monday, but you left the fact that you were here this morning out. Right? I think a lot of us, if we're honest, have this urge to, to not like share past, like what we consider familiar, what we consider normal for the person that we're talking to. But my, my question for us as we begin this morning, is that an urge that we should resist to kind of just stay there? Right? And we've heard it said before, like, you know, preach the gospel, and if you must use words, like we sort of just like sort of staying there, like let me just, my life looks this way, and so hopefully they get Jesus there, but I don't need to speak it. They, let's stick to what's familiar, and hopefully they somehow get Jesus somewhere in there. As I said, we're, we're going to look at another sermon from the book of Acts, and calling the series Witness, so these are, these are evangelical sermons, you're trying to evangelize. Um, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, and he has like a similar decision to make. This questions of, of, should I share? How much should I share? Should I share about Jesus? Are some questions that we might have if we were standing in his shoes. But as we'll see for Paul, he sees no need to stop any short of sharing who Jesus is. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. Uh, you can open up there, and it's going to be on the screens. And we're going to start in verse 13, and here's what it says. Now Paul and his companions set sail for, uh, from Paphos and came to Perga and, Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. So uh, a couple of things here by way of sort of context for us. First, uh, the first half of thir the verse 13 we actually have three missionary leaders traveling. Uh, we've got Paul, we have Barnabas, and we have John called Mark, also called Mark. But in the second half of verse 13, there's just two of them left. We have just Paul and we have just Barnabas. And it's interesting, you know, we don't actually ever get the, the reason as to why John Mark leaves, why he departs from them, but we do know that Paul disagreed with the reason. Uh, this departure would later cause tension in their relationship. This would cause tension even in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. We find this out just a few chapters later. Um, Paul was very unhappy with John Mark's decision of leaving, and he would later call it a withdrawal. He said, like, you, you left us. That's the first thing. The second thing is, they're headed from Perga to Antioch in Pisidia, and now there's another Antioch in the area. It's in Syria. That would be just, just north of where Jerusalem would be, kind of an easier travel. But this Antioch is a boat ride to Perga away and then a treacherous 100-mile journey through the mountains where there were often or known to be robbers who would come and steal 
your Amazon packages and whatever else, right? There's, this is a, 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 a crazy journey to go on, 100 miles through the mountains with people who want to steal from you. And at the end of this journey, they would arrive at this Antioch, and this Antioch is 3,600 feet above sea level, so you also got elevation too, and elevation makes everything worse. Um, so... Paul and Barnabas, they arrived to the city with, with some relational tension, right? Like, I don't know about you, like when there's relational tension, like in my marriage or with a friend, it kind of just sort of bugs me. That's, they're sort of arriving with some relational tension and they're also arriving weary from their 100 mile journey where they could have ran into some robbers along the way. And so that's where they are. Let's see the first thing that's noted that they do when they arrive in Antioch. Verse 14, second half of verse 14, it says this. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So this would be Saturday for them. And as we see, as these missionary journeys play out, uh, this is pretty standard practice for them. On the Sabbath, they would go to the synagogue. And this would be a pretty familiar place for both Paul and for Barnabas. Paul is a Jewish rabbi and and. Um, Barnabas is a Levite, so they both would be very familiar with the things that go on in the synagogue. Uh, they grew up going to the synagogue. They were familiar with what went on there, the customs, the norms, the language. They're essentially in a place with like their people, people who speak their language, people who sort of know the same terms, uh, people who share the same history, people who share the same understanding. It's kind of like if, if you grow up in the church or if you grew up in the church and you meet someone else that's close to your age that also grew up in the church, church, you immediately sort of like just kind of get each other. You understand. You've got some things in common. Like if you grew up in the flannel graph age, you're like, oh, yeah, you remember the flannel graphs? I didn't, but then maybe you did. Or the old worship music. Oh, you remember that one song or that, that, this hymn? Or, or we could all relate to like bad grape juice, right? All of us as Christians, we could relate to bad grape juice and the wafer cookies that are like styrofoam, like we, we could relate to that, right? Or if you grew up, um, you know, maybe going to youth group in like the 90s, early 2000s, like, hey, remember like all the youth pastors with soul patches and ripped jeans and trucker hats? I'm glad I missed that window. So, um, right, there's a relation, like you, like you understand each other. There's a familiarity. These are the people that are in the room with Paul and Barnabas. The sort of people that grew up in the synagogue, people who understand the stories, they share history with, they share language with, and... In the next verse, they're going to be presented with an opportunity to share. But before we get there, I want to ask us, who are your people? Who are your people? Cormac, a couple weeks back, shared that God orchestrates, God works together opportunities for us to be witnesses. And I think those opportunities most often come with the people that we share something with, some familiarity, some background some context with. So, so maybe, maybe take a step back from, from PBC. Who are your people outside of here? Who are the, the people in your life that you share some history with? Maybe not your whole life history, but maybe you can point back to a, a few significant events and say, I, we've, we've shared this history together. We've, we've made these transitions together, whether at, at school or work, whatever it might be. Who are the people that you, you speak the same language as? And this, I think, sort of beyond more like English, Spanish, but sort of speak the same language. You're in the same field. Maybe you share the same workplaces. And so, like, the words that you use, the way in which you see certain things are the same. Are those your people? Maybe some 
Uh, maybe your people are, are people they just share interests with. Like when you think about sort of the places you are, the things that you do, sort of that it's outside of like home or work. Like you just, this is my hobby. This is my thing. These are my, these are my people that speak this same language. You understand how to do this particular interest or hobby. I, I, who are your people? I think this is an important question for us to answer. Because like I said earlier, oftentimes that's where God is going to give us the most opportunity to share about who he is, to share his love, to be able to share our faith. And so Paul and Barnabas are here in the synagogue. This place is familiar with them. The people are familiar to them. The language is similar. The worldview is similar. And now they're presented with an opportunity, verse 15. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So here, an opportunity to share is presented to Paul and Barnabas. This is not super uncommon. Oftentimes when a rabbi is traveling from, from another town into a synagogue, they're, they're presented with the opportunity to share or to teach. And especially if it's a prominent rabbi and, and, and Paul himself being fairly prominent and, and studying under a very, very prominent rabbi is, is someone like that. So he's given this opportunity to share. But I think also at the same time of getting the opportunity to share, he's also given an opportunity to resist, to hold back. So remember what Paul had been through not long before this, right? There's that relational tension, right? One of his companions left that did not make him excited or happy. He's been on a hundred mile journey where it's, it's dangerous. Like it's, it's more dangerous than parking your car on the street in San Francisco. Like it's a dangerous journey that he just went on. And we actually find out in, in Galatians, actually, that he's also sick. Some people think he could have had malaria. So we've got layers of reasons as to why Paul could say, not today. I'm tired. I'm upset. I don't feel good. There's lots of reasons for Paul to not want to share. And I think for us, in thinking about that, sharing our faith, like if we're looking for a reason to pass up an opportunity to share about our faith, like we're always going to find it. We're always going to find it. It's been a long week. I really don't have the energy for that conversation. I've been sitting in traffic and like I've been mewling over this meeting that like I just can't get over what was said. Like I just, I'm not ready to, to talk to anybody about anything. I got in an argument with a friend or my spouse and I'm just like, I just, I'm just not, not in the mood. And someone stole my Amazon package. Like, oh, like, the world is not right, and I don't want to interact with anybody, right? Well, there's always going to be a reason, always going to be a good excuse if we're looking for it, and we're always going to find a reason to not want to go beyond what's familiar, what's surface level, and onto things of faith if you're looking for a reason. For Paul, he's got all these reasons, but he pushes back against any urge to hold back, and he shares. It's what he says. This is the longest section we're going to read this morning, starting in verse 16. So Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them the land as an inheritance. 
All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when they had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, whom he had testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. So Paul begins his, his sermon to these people, very similarly to how we saw Stephen do a few weeks ago when, when Scott preached. He gives sort of a, a history lesson on the, all the things that Israel's been through, God's providence, God's mercy, God's grace, God's leading, God's gifting, God's giving them the land. So he gives sort of this, this history of Israel. And remember, um, they're at a synagogue. These people are all very familiar with these stories, with these events, with God moving in their, uh, their, in their history. And so that's what he's sharing. And that's sort of his strategy. He, he, he begins with what is familiar. He uses the languages, he uses the references, he points back to a shared history, and that's where he starts. And I actually, when I think about us sharing our faith, I wanna encourage us to do the same. As we think about being witnesses to whoever it is that are your people, start with what is familiar. Start with what is familiar. I mean, so often, like, we, we put all this, like, pressure on ourselves, like, so with, like, like either the first, like, three, three seconds, like, three minutes, if I don't share Jesus within that window, that window is gone forever, and it's never coming back around, so now it's going to stick sort of with everything else. But really, we probably should start with what's familiar, what's natural, what's relatable. It's okay to start there. And the thing is, most, if not all of us, are really, really good at that. Why? Because that's what we've been doing most, if not all, of our lives. We're just sticking to what is familiar, what is normal. Uh, if you've been a Christian, you sort of maybe you've, you've like have lots of relationships where you've sort of stuck there. So really, you've been preparing for this message for all your life. So thank you for that. Um, step one, you've got it. Start with what's familiar. Um, but here's what I want to say about this. Because we all have a strong tendency to want to stay there. To an urge to, to stay there. What I want to say is this, fight the urge. This urge is in all of us to want to stay here, to stay with what feels safe, to stay with what feels familiar, to stay with what feels non-threatening. And, and yeah, Paul does start there, but he doesn't stay there. He starts with what's in common, what's familiar, what's, what they understand, but then he continues on. Verse 23. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus as he promised. Paul does not resist the urge to get to Jesus. He, he follows straight from what is familiar, what is normal, what they all understand, to what now is central in his life. Paul goes from what's familiar to what is central in his life. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, I've been married for, for nine years. Now imagine, you know, I don't know who you are and we meet somewhere and for some reason we're in a conversation and the conversation is going really well. So we're like talking for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour goes by. We're talking about all kinds of different things, sports teams, interests, hobbies, all kinds of stuff. But if an hour went by and I never mentioned my wife, wouldn't that be a little bit weird, right? Like if, if someone has been in my life, a central part of my life for like 10 years, 
and I don't bring them up at all in an hour-long conversation, wouldn't that be really weird? But the thing is, we notice the oddity of that. But how many of us have done that with Jesus? Like maybe some of you had relationships with people for, for months or years or possibly decades, and you've never touched the topic of faith. We've never shared our faith in Jesus. That's, that's weird too. And for Paul, it, it was never a question that he was gonna get to Jesus because it's the most essential thing for him. To not talk about Jesus would to, to be to, to leave out like what is core to who he is. How about you? Like, have you left a core piece about who you are out of the relationships that you hold outside of this place? Have you resisted the urge to get to Jesus? My encouragement here is not to do that, to not resist. Don't resist the urge to get to Jesus. And here's the thing, it can feel strange or risky to share about our faith. Especially, like, if, if you've been in relationships with people for a long time where the topic has never come up or come close to coming up. And it, but let me ask you this. In that person's, in your people's lives, if not you, then who? I mean, who better to show the love of God to, to your people than you? Now, I want you to think back to, to maybe when you came to faith. I mean, this might be easier for those who came to faith as teenagers or, or maybe as an, as an adult. Uh, imagine if the person that shared Christ with you, or imagine if the person that invited you to, to church where you would later meet Jesus, or, or invited to the retreat where you, where you would later meet Jesus, imagine if that person decided they weren't going to go past the familiar and the normal and the safe, and they weren't going to, they were going to resist the urge to get to Jesus. How many of us are not here if that's the case? If that person decided, I, I'm just too tired. I've had a long week. That's a conversation that's going to be a little too deep for this. How many of us are not here? Don't resist the urge to get to Jesus. For, for Paul, it was essential. But Paul doesn't just mention Jesus here in passing. He, he shares the depth of what Jesus does for us, namely the forgiveness and freedom that he gives us. We're going to skip down to verse 38. This is sort of the, the heart of the, the sermon for Paul. It says this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So this, again, is the heart of, of the sermon. This is what Jesus has to offer. He emphasizes two things, Paul does here, forgiveness and freedom. He says, through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin. Let me just, for a second, just give real, for a second. All of us have fears. All of us have failures. All of us have insecurities, deep insecurities. All of us have a longing to be loved. All of us have a longing to be accepted. All of us desire to know that at the end of the day, everything is going to be okay. 
Listen, Paul accepted the invitation to share. He, he doesn't stop at what's familiar. He doesn't stop at just mentioning Jesus. But now he's offering an invitation for anyone to, who's listening to come to Jesus and to come to Jesus and find forgiveness and freedom. Because when people come to Jesus and find forgiveness, they are freed from any law that dictates their life. When you come to Jesus, there is no need to compare yourself to anyone else anymore. When you come to Jesus, there is no need to try and make up for your failures. When you come to Jesus, what do we find? We find acceptance. What do we find? We find belonging. What do we find? We find rest. That is what Paul is offering his people. And listen, that is what we offer when we share about Jesus. Listen, we, we often don't want to share, I think, because, well, I don't have all the answers to the questions that they may ask, right? And let me encourage you, you don't have to be have to have all the, answer, all the right answers before you share your faith. You don't have to be a theologian or a great orator or a great storyteller. If you have a story of coming to saving faith in Jesus and him giving you freedom, then you have a story worth sharing. Your story is worth sharing. And maybe you didn't have like this big like come to Jesus moment. You didn't have the, the camp experience. If, if the reality of Jesus saving you from your sins and now you walk in newness of life in Christ, your story is worth sharing. And it's a powerful one that God can use not to just change someone's life, but to change their entire eternity. Don't resist the urge to get to Jesus because it could change someone's eternity. But as we all know, like, faith doesn't always come easy, right? Maybe faith didn't come easy to you. You think about the people in your life. It it's not coming easy to them. Maybe you've shared faith, your faith with them before. I know this well as well. I have friends um, that I love dearly and deeply who I've shared my faith with multiple times, sometimes with tears, and they still don't believe Friends that have seen my life change because of the work of Jesus in my life, but yet they still don't believe. That's a hard place to be. And, and Paul, he ends his sermon with, with a warning. I think a warning to those who are listening to his sermon, but also I think like a challenge for us as believers hearing this sermon 2,000 years later. Here, here's the warning he says in verse 40 and 41. Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. Paul is warning all of us, everybody, that to not respond to Jesus in saving faith is to reject what God is move, doing, to reject that God is moving. He does this with, with language that they would have been familiar with. Remember, he's still with his people. He, he pulls back from the Old Testament from the prophet Habakkuk. And this, again, familiar language, again, we should use familiar language, starts with what's familiar. But, but that's, and that's where Paul concludes. And it's interesting, you know, like us, Paul can't dictate or has no control how people may respond to what he just said. Though he, he shares the history with these people, he shares about who Jesus is and what Jesus offers them. He warns them that, hey, if you might miss it, you're missing it. But Paul still can't control how people respond. But, but here's the thing that he can and we can too. Our willingness to share and the urgency in which we do. Paul's warning is, is directly to the people 
who he wants so desperately to respond to saving faith in Jesus, to find this newness of life, to find freedom, to find forgiveness. That's what he wants. But I think it's also a challenge for us, a challenge for us to live with urgency, to live with a little bit of urgency. Because to live with urgency for the people, to live with urgency for the people around us who are lost, and then when you live with urgency, you're, you're willing to take some risks. When you live with urgency, you're willing to be a little bit more bold. When you live with urgency, you don't just like wait for the opportunities, but you look for the opportunities. When you live with urgency, you are like you want to share. Live with a little bit of urgency. About a month ago, I was in Honduras. Uh, thank you for all those who supported and prayed for us while we were there. It was an amazing trip, not an amazing return back home. Different story, different time for a different story, though. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite things I get to do as a high school pastor is take students, takes teams to Honduras. And we work in a, a, in a sort of rural area outside of the capital city. Uh, much of it is only accessible by four by four. And so uh, students love that because they, love, they get to, they get to like jump in the back of the, the trucks. And some of us get to hang out in the, in the cab of the truck. And they love to do that. So I like sacrifice and sit in the cab of the truck. Um, so, and I've also been stuck in enough rainstorms so I want, not want to be back there. But so, anyways, in one particular day, I jumped into the cab of the truck and one of our translators, his name was Yimmer, um, he had a book on the seat, it's in Spanish, and I looked at it and I could read a little bit of Spanish and it was titled, Lo único que no puedes hacer en el cielo. I got that? Uh, uh, it actually translates, uh, the one thing you can't do in heaven. And it was like eight in the morning. It's like, it's like two deep thoughts right now. Can't, can't do this. And so he looks at me and says, you know what that is? I said, no. And he responds, he said, share your faith. And that really struck me. It's like, you know when someone says something really, really simple, but like it hits you with so much weight? Like that's what it felt like in that moment. And this, I'm not like a... Um, Probably knows, but I'm not a fire brimstone kind of guy. I'm not um, like a, you know, just let me scare you into doing something. But there's there's the reality. Um, the reality is that that one day it will be too late to turn to Jesus. The the, the reality is that that one day it's going to be too late to share your faith with your mom, or your dad, or your brother, or your sister, or your coworker, or whoever that might be, your people, it might be too late to put it off another week, or a day, or a month. It might be too late, because we won't be able to share our faith in heaven, why? Because everyone there is a Christian. There's no need to share our faith there, we're just gonna praise Jesus while we're there. Live with a little bit of urgency today, because Tomorrow was not promised. An opportunity presented today may not present itself tomorrow. Live with a little bit of urgency for your people because one day it may be too late. Well, that's the end of Paul's sermon. But then for him, how, how do the people respond? I think we're going to look at two verses that seem positive, but it sort of switches to mix. And this is what it says, verse 42. 
As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So Paul and Barnabas were, were faithful with an opportunity that God gave them to share uh, about who Jesus is. And initially, it, it seems it, it sparks interest and it sparks faith. They're like, hey, those things you share today, come back next week and share them again. Now, actually, what happens is a lot more people show up the next week, but those groups of people, there's groups of other Jews who are standing there and all they're doing is trying to contradict the things that Paul and Barnabas are saying concerning Jesus. And so what seems like it's initially gonna be great response, it actually ends up being a mixed response from the people. And listen, we will experience that too. Mixed response, negative response. Um, there have been conversations that followed after I tell people a pastor that don't go that well or that end pretty abruptly. Um, but here's the thing. We, we never know what God is going to do in the hearts of people who hear about Jesus from you, who hear your testimony of how God has freed you from whatever it is he's freed you from. Some may come to faith, others may not. But here's the thing. We don't create results. That's, that's not our job. We can't change hearts, only God can. Our calling is not to do that, but our calling is to be faithful when the opportunity or invitation arises to share who Jesus is. If with our people, not you, then who? I want to encourage us, as, as Paul and Barnabas do in this last verse that we read, I urge you to continue in the grace of God and encourage you to share about the source of that grace whenever you have the opportunity arise for you. Don't resist the urge to get to Jesus. It may just change someone's eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen.